sorry about that. Picking up chapter 4, um, I'll start back at verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Thence you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I said to you, let my son go that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. Now I will kill your firstborn son. On the way at the place where they spent the night, the Lord met him and tried to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Truly, you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let them alone. It was then, she said, a bridegroom of blood by circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went. And he met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him, and all the signs with which he had charged him. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and performed the sign, signs in the sight of the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites, and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. All right, let's stop there. Anything well, grab your attention? That, that's not how he ended up getting connected to Aaron. We were talking about that last week. Yeah. How does, how does Aaron just sort of start coming out towards him? Well, and he's evidently gotten word from God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of very sort of interesting things happen here. Um, one is the, the obvious foreknowledge of God that Pharaoh will not heed the words of Moses. Um, and before we get into the firstborn to first firstborn comparison, um, what are the ways we think about God's knowledge? All-encompassing. All-encompassing. Sometimes we use that word um, omniscient, um, all-knowing, right? That's a, it's an interesting way to, for us to even comprehend God's knowledge. Um, because on the one hand, you know, we'll say we have these terms that we use to try to describe the knowledge of God. On the other hand, we also kind of acknowledge that our own knowledge is limited, that we can't truly understand the knowledge of God. Um, there's, there's sort of this question sometimes that arises about what God knows of what will happen and, and what that means to us. Um, and what I mean by that is what are some of the ways we could he hear these words that God knows or God will harden Pharaoh's heart and God knows what Pharaoh will say, right? So what are some ways we could think about that in relationship to God's knowledge? Well, he hasn't been there before, machine people, but he has good knowledge of people. And that, that's one of the distinctions that I think sometimes it's easy for us to, to kind of rest on an idea that God knows everything that will happen, like knows the future. And, and there are points of scripture where it seems like that's, that's probable or, or possible. Um, and in, in a sense, we also describe God as being timeless. So God is in the past, God is in the present, God is in the future. 
There's another way that we see God reflected in Scripture, Mary, closer to what you're saying, that God is, in being so wise, in being all-knowing in a sort of sense of knowledge and wisdom, it's not necessarily knowing the future as we sometimes think about, like, seeing into the future, but maybe more so, like, knowing what will happen because of wisdom. So there's, there's a fine line there. It's maybe the best way I can describe it. So here, I'll take these strange set of Christmas lights that for some reason was on the floor. Okay, I'm going to hold my hand out and I'm going to drop it. What's going to happen? Have you predicted the future? No, I applied the law of gravity. Applied the law of gravity, applied wisdom, applied knowledge. So it's just one of those, it's one of those lines where some, sometimes when God is looking into the future, maybe it's that God knows the future in sort of that future teller sense, but maybe it's just that God is all wise, just the way that we can sort of anticipate and predict things to happen. But God's going to have a much greater level of accuracy with that than we are. Um, you know, obviously, um, to that end, God's knowledge of what will happen really foreshadows um, and predicts and tells the final um, plague that will befall the Egyptian people, the one that will ultimately sort of break Pharaoh's resolve in the, uh, in the death of the firstborn, the Passover. Um, and that is, well, we'll save Passover. We'll talk about that when we get there. Because Exodus raises for us a whole lot of questions about, you know, how God works. And I think rightly so, but we'll save that. Um, all right, one last, one last really interesting thing that happens. Um, Moses is attacked, in a sense, by who? Someone tries to kill Moses. Verse 24. Mary, what's verse 24 say in yours? At a lodging place on the way to the Lord, the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> so God wanted to kill Moses. Well, I think that's I think that's it right there. Yeah. Uh, be chicken and run away. Or are you going to go through with all of this? It's a test of courage. Um, has God ever attacked someone before in Scripture, having come through Genesis? Yeah. Um, he fought with. Uh, which one of them did he fight? He changes his name. He fights with Jacob and renames him Israel, one that struggles with God. Um, so God, again, sort of seeks to kill, um, tries, tried to kill um, Moses on his way. Um, I think it's this test of strength, test of courage, certainly. It's reminiscent of his wrestling with Israel. Again, it's sort of, we, we stitch Moses into the previous stories. He has these things happen to him. Um, and how is he saved? Zipporah. Zipporah. Circumcises. Not Moses. Doesn't circumcise Moses. Circumcises their son, right? And and what's significant about that? That's what they are told to do. That's the sign of the covenant. Mm -hmm. 
That's the sign of the covenant. So interestingly enough, we had this conversation about um, last week, right? Moses goes off into the wilderness. He meets this priest of Midian, whose name seems to have two names here, Jethro, or I can't remember the first one they give off the top of my head. Um, but, you know, this question, well, there's, remember, they're not Jewish. They're, they're a different people. So Moses has married a foreign wife. He's still living in exile. This is him coming kind of fully back into the fold. He, the covenants carried on through circumcision of his son, and it's his foreign wife that does it. And what does she mean by, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me? So I have, um, uh, so he let him alone. It was then, she said, a bridegroom of blood by circumcision. So it's reunification, remarriage. He's, he's coming back fully into the into the family and into the into the fold of God. But it's his non-Jewish wife, right? Who does? Yeah. So so is she. It's it's sort of all their conversion at once. She is wise enough and smart enough to observe the covenant with her son by circumcising him there on the spot and. And physically connecting it to Moses is kind of strange and a little gross as that is to us. Um, but it's it ties in the story of, of wrestling with Jacob and it ties in, it brings back the covenant of circumcision fully. Um, so Moses is he's prepped now, right? He's ready to go. This is his this is his boot camp <laughs> in a sentence. And then he goes back to the people, shows them the signs, and uh, and it's interesting, you know. The people believed, um, it says the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. I don't, I don't want to read too much into it, but you almost get the sense that, so Moses has been fully brought back into the covenantal relationship with God, and through Moses then so is everyone else. No matter what they were doing in Egypt, everyone's—they're all kind of of one now. They're, they're back on—they're back on the team, right? So they are ready to make their um, make their push for freedom through God. All right, can someone pick it up at chapter five? After Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel: Let my people go, that they may hold a feast." to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should heed his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and, for, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then he said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go. We pray a three-day journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are how many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen 
You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks which they made, therefore, you shall lay upon them, and you shall uh, by no means lessen it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid upon the men, and they may that they may labor at it and pay no regard to living words or to lying words. So the taskmaster and the foreman of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go yourself. Get your own, get your straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be lessened in, in the least. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task, as when there was straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh tasked, Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today, as hitherto? When the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you deal thus with your servants? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, and you are idle, therefore, you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, for no straw shall be given to you. Yet you shall deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in evil in evil plight, when they said, You shall by no means lessen your daily number of bricks. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them, and they came forth from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord took upon you and judged, because you have made us offensive in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned again to the Lord and said, O Lord, why hast thou done evil to this people? Why didst thou ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done evil to this people, and thou hast not delivered. All right, so this is a this is the first interaction between uh, Moses and Aaron and, and Pharaoh. Um, and usually we kind of think about, we, we skip over this a lot in the popular retelling. Um, what's the first request? It starts with let my to people... Go out, to go out and to pray to the Lord. Yeah, a three day, celebrate a three-day festival. Um, so this is, it doesn't even begin with the, you know, obviously God already knows Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened. What's interesting, the first request is simply let my people go out into the wilderness to sacrifice for three days. That's it. Basically, let them go. Let us go practice our our religion, unless something bad is going to happen to all of us, right? Um, 
it's it's not complete exodus. It's it's a return to it's a request to let them return to God and, and break from their their labor and their misery. So you can almost there's almost hints of that idea of Sabbath, right? Um, which they probably have not had in in fullness in a long time, or the festivals that will soon be um, commended to them later on here in the law books. Pharaoh as is predicted, um, his heart is hardened to this request. Um, it's not a minor request necessarily, but it's not the full request of letting all the Israelites go away um, out of the land. And so what does Pharaoh do to the Israelites? He punishes them and makes a task harder. Yeah. yeah. But he bans it, they complete. Right. So you're going to work twice as hard. You have to go gather the straw now for these bricks, but you still owe me the same amount of bricks in a day. Um, the, the taskmasters, the overseers um, of the people are fellow Israelites. And so they're sort of the ones that have this dialogue with Moses at the end. What's their opinion of this whole matter? They made it really ruined life for them. Yeah. What, what the heck have you and Aaron done? Like, you've made life, you've made things worse. You didn't make things better. Um, so now, if you're, if you're Moses and Aaron... You know, you're still convinced. You have this experience with God, but you're getting it from both ends. Pharaoh is um, Pharaoh is ultimately incorrect, but short-term shrewd here in his reaction to Moses and Aaron in that um, this group seems united. They come. They want this thing given to them, and he makes things harder to try to break their spirits um, and to turn the people against Moses and Aaron, which it seems like... Um, you know, succeeds to some extent. So let's pick it up. Uh, chapter six. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God's almighty. But my might, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of the discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. 
So that's a, um, we, we've seen this with Moses already, right? God has told him to do something, but he's discouraged. Um, on two accounts, he again brings up his faltering lips is sometimes we think probably maybe he had a stutter um, or, or some such effect to his speak. Um, but also, it's just, he's, he's talking with God and God tells him to do something and Moses again is arguing with God. Oh, I can't do that. You know, no one's going to listen to me. My own, your own people, my own people won't listen to me. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Um, Pharaoh has broken, broken their spirits as he intended by doubling up the work. Um, but it will not, it will not dissuade God. I am going to, let's, let's skim through the genealogy here, verses 14 to 27. Um, the following are the heads of their ancestral houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Um, we have one of these genealogy lessons down to Aaron and Moses. So again, if you're um, on Sunday in the sermon, I, you know, I was talking about these as being family stories and that, you know, sort of extreme importance. So when God is talking um, to Moses and Aaron, he again emphasizes I am the God of their ancestors, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, again and again. So now here in the here in the text, we get this fully laid out sort of, well, where did Moses and Aaron come from? Um, well, this is where Moses and, Moses and Aaron come from, and um, even a bit to, to where they're going. Um, all the way to, these are the heads of the ancestral house of the Levites by their families. It was the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, company by company. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, the same Moses and Aaron. So this both tells um, genealogy leading up to Moses and Aaron and then from beyond Moses and Aaron. So that those hearers of the story generations afterwards, you know, can kind of place them within the, the appropriate family trees. This is a, this is a family story after all. Um, so picking up here at verse 28. On the day that the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I am speaking to you. But Moses said in the Lord's presence, since I am a poor speaker, why would Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand upon Egypt and bring my people, the Israelites, company by company, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt, and bring the Israelites out from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a wonder, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and they became snakes. 
but Aaron's staff swallowed up theirs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Um, <clears throat> the, the magicians, um, the wise men, the sorcerers of Egypt. Uh, just a, a note about them, as we have become increasingly, I would say actually increasingly monotheistic. Now, Judaism has always been monotheistic and has only acknowledged the, the one God is the God of, of the universe. That said, certainly in, in the time of the Exodus, there would have also been uh, an acceptance or an understanding that there are other powers, both spiritual, um, you know, godly in a sense, that other nations can tap into. So sometimes scripture sort of out and out acknowledges the existence of these other gods um, as being not God, God, but, but spiritual beings. And sometimes it's more along the line of, well, they don't, they don't really exist at all. Um, here in the text, I think it's a little bit ambiguous. It switches back sorcerers, magicians, secret arts. What does that all mean? Um, it, so it's not necessarily telling us that these are just parlor tricks. Um, Maybe it is that they have also these sort of capabilities um, to do secret or dark arts as uh, as magicians of Pharaoh, or maybe they are tricks. It's a little it's a little vague, um, but there are certainly other other powers and other gods out there, and that's why people go and worship. That's why they're tempting to be worshipped. Um, if they just believed that there was only God and everything else was just completely without power you wouldn't be lured into idolatry worship of other gods. It wouldn't make any sense. Um, so it's just a note about that. Sometimes we're a little bit too quick to look through a modern lens and say, well, it's, you know, they're just doing a magic trick. Well, that might not have been the way that the folks during the time of Exodus or for generations after would have, would have understood what was going on here. All right, Mary, pick us up at the first plague, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Wait for him by the river's brink and take in your hand the rod which was turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me <coughs> to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. And behold, you have not yet obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the water that is in the Nile with the rod that is in my hand, and it shall turn to blood. And a fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile shall become foul. And the Egyptians said, Will Egyptians will loathe to the drinking of the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take the rod and stretch it out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. 
Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And he lifted up the rod and struck the water that was in the Nile, and all the water that was in the Nile turned to blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile became foul, and they, that, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and there was blood throughout the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into the house, and he did not lay even in him, did not lay even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug around about the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water in the Nile. <clears throat> Seven days passed after that. The Lord had struck the Nile. All right, so that's plague number one, um, turning of the Nile into blood. Let's move on to plague two. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace, and into your bedroom, and into your bed, and into the houses of your officials, and on your people, and into your ovens, and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you, and your people, and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave you to the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said. Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you in your houses, your officials, and your people, and they will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. They were piled into heaps, and the land reeked of them. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. So on this second plague, Pharaoh tries to strike a deal. What does he offer? He let him go. He let him go worship. So it was that first request of Moses and Aaron that, that, they, that they get to go worship God. Not that they're going to go go, but just that they get to go worship God. Um, there's almost a sense, too, that what's interesting is Moses and Aaron take this deal, or they almost want to take this deal, as if, as if Pharaoh's heart maybe again hadn't been hardened at this moment, and and he abides by his agreement. Maybe 
Moses and Aaron would have, or maybe God would have stopped the, the extraction of the people from the land. It says that, you know, what's interesting is Moses and Aaron have to go to God with this. And it is God who, let's see how mine puts it. The Lord did as Moses requested. So it's, God is responding to what's happening in, in real time, but at the same time, God's still aware of, of Pharaoh's actions. He, he knows Pharaoh. Um, so Pharaoh makes this, makes this deal. Okay, I'm going to let you go out and worship. And Moses and Aaron are kind of, they're probably getting skittish, like, we'll take it. You know, we, don't, we don't need to leave the land. All right, we got what we originally asked for. And, uh, and the Lord says, okay, the frogs die. But, of course, um, Pharaoh goes back on his word. Right, he doesn't. He doesn't keep true because each time everything is reset to, to sort of a peaceful state, Pharaoh goes back into this mode of well, there are there are slaves. There, you know, we're going to work them again. Um, so a dishonorable man and a, um, I don't know. It's it's funny how quick he is to forget and make peace with all these things that happen. Um, he he wants to be convinced that something isn't happening. So. When it stops, he, he reverts to his normal. The third plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it might become gnats throughout the whole land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And gnats came on humans and animals alike. And... All the dust of the earth turned into gnats throughout the whole land of Egypt. The magicians tried to produce, produce gnats by their own secret arts, but they could not. There were gnats on both humans and animals, and the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's digging in. It's, it's that story of someone continuing to kind of double down on their mistake. Um, even now his own court officials, his magicians have basically said, Hey, this is, we can't reproduce this. This is God. This is God. But he's, it's really kind of a, it's a sad and tragic story, especially once we get to the Passover because Pharaoh, by making his own mistakes and doubling down on them, sort of like someone caught in a lie or something like that is just digging it deeper and making it worse. And that happens to people. And we've talked about hardness of heart. Um, and hearts continue to harden. That's often what happens. So the fourth plague flies. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh. As he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go so that they may worship me. For if you will not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials and your people and into your houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, so also the land where they live. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people live, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, and that you may know that I am the Lord, that I the Lord am in this land. Thus I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign shall appear tomorrow. The Lord did so, and great swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his officials' houses in all of Egypt. The land was ruined because of the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, 
for the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God are offensive to the Egyptians. If we offer in the sight of the Egyptians sacrifices that are offensive to them, will they not stone us? We must go on a three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he commands us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, provided you do not go very far away. Pray for me. Then Moses said, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his officials, and from his people. Only do not let Pharaoh again deal falsely by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his officials, and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and would not let the people go. So why did he let the plagues go on the whole land until now? And he only let it go on the Egyptians. Well, again, to show that, he wanted to show that distinction that God is powerful enough that it's only affecting the Egyptians now and not God's people. Well, why didn't he do that from the beginning? Uh, that's a good question. I think because it adds extra credence um, to the idea that these Egyptians or that these Israelites are, um, that this is their God that they're kind of set apart. So it raises the, I don't want to say it raises the stakes, but it raises the, the level of awareness um, for, for Pharaoh that these people are, they have their God. And importantly, their God is active in the land. So one of the things to remember about gods at this point is they are, um, they're tribal gods, they're national gods, they're gods of a people. And if you're not in the right land, the land of those gods, presumably your gods are either going to be ineffective or less effective, right? You'd have to think about it like our people are supposed to be in this place and that's where our God has their most power. For the Egyptians, they have their gods who should be most powerful in the land. So when, when he talks about, you know, our God is, is in this land, it's kind of it's kind of a big deal that there's a foreign God that has power in this land that has its own gods and its own people. Mm -hmm. um, so in two ways, God, Pharaoh, Moses are, are sort of upping the, excuse me, God, Aaron and Moses sort of upping the, upping the stakes here for what, for what God can do in this place. So he should be taking more and more notice that things are different. The other question of why, uh, why the flies don't come on the Israelites. Again, talking about foreshadowing. What's the last plague going to be? The death of the, death of the first born. And, of course, that's going to happen because of the Passover blood, but it's going to be all the Israelites that are spared, um, that follow the word, keep faith. So that's it. Also looking forward as God can do something to your people in your land that's not going to affect my people. Um, which is a kind of a notable difference. All right, chapter nine, the fifth plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, 
Behold, the hand of the Lord will fall on a very severe plague upon your cattle, which are in the fields, the horses and the ass and the camels, the herds and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, so that nothing shall die of all that belongs to the people of Israel. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And on the morrow the Lord did this thing. All the cattle of the Egyptians died, but the cattle of the people of Israel, not one died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the cattle of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, Take handfuls of ashes from the kill, from the kill, and let Moses throw them toward heaven in the sight of the Pharaoh, and he shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and bring boils breaking out in sores on the man and the beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. So they took ashes from the kill and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw them toward heaven, and it became boils breaking out in sores on men, man, and beasts. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were upon the magicians and upon all of the Egyptians. Magicians and all of the Egyptians. Uh, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Is there a time in which this takes place over months or years? Or hmm. yeah, it's not because first we have killed all the animals and now we have this stuff that attacks the animals as well. There was one there was one timeline given at one point. Uh, there was a week in between the first plague and the second plague. So seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, so you could maybe assume that this is a weekly occurrence. Um, are all the animals? Yeah, it said all the, the animals died. It says just in the Egyptians. Right. So we can find us and shall cause festering boils on humans and animals throughout the whole of the land. So the livestock died during the um, the livestock of the Egyptians in the fifth plague. They they died. The flies. I think it just says everything is kind of ruined. So those. So the difference between the fifth plague is the livestock, so the the donkeys, the cattle of the Egyptians. The sixth plague, now you're getting into other animals in the land too. So lions and tigers and yeah, 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 lions and tigers and bears. The ones they're not keeping as livestock, or more likely some birds. You know, all the all the uh, other various animals they have around that aren't the livestock. Um, and we make that distinction too between livestock and wild animal, you know. Yeah, so the difference between the, the deer dying and the, and the cows dying. But they've lost their livestock and now all the animals 
Um, have these boils too. Do they die though? Through in the air. The, the festering boils broke Festering out. boils, yeah. No. All right, so that's that's where we're at. So the livestock of the, of the Egyptians are gone, but the there are still animals, and they're the ones with the rest of the humans that get these these boils. This one doesn't say if it's limited just to the Egyptians. Um, it just says everyone. But the Israelites, as, as we kind of find out, live in a their own community. So it's still the land of Egypt, but they're in this Goshen. So they're in, a, they're in a little bit of a different place. So they might not have, it's a little unclear whether it's affecting everyone, everyone, or whether it's just the Egyptians. Um, all right, let's pick it up with the seventh plague at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed on all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt, from the day it was found until now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in a field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the hail will fall over all Egypt, on men and animals, on everything growing in the fields. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both men and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. And Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop, and there will be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and the spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out to the city. He spread his hands toward the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped. The rain no longer poured down on the land. 
When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard. He would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. So, as you mentioned, so at this point, though, it seems like they've acquired some more livestock. Um, but now if they're out in the field, they've been, um, they've been destroyed. The land of Goshen, again, is spared. Um, the only thing I would say to this, have, have you ever been somewhere where there's a, a hailstorm, like a serious hailstorm that's come through? It is, um, it, it's terrifying, but it's also bizarre. So when I was, I think, gosh, this would have been like 2012, um, the part of Pennsylvania where I'm from had these horrific hailstorms come through in like late May, early June. And, um, it was, it was the eeriest thing you'd ever seen because it was, it was late May, early June and all the trees were stripped bare again of their leaves. Um, and there was just millions of dollars of damage to cars and houses and all this stuff. But it will, it will really change the landscape, um, a hailstorm that comes through. Mm -hmm. Because they just come like rocks being thrown out of the sky. Um, so it's a, it's a terrifying one. But as far as, the, as far as the story goes, again, we get this instance of Goshen is spared. The Israelites are spared of the hail. Uh, Moses or excuse me, Pharaoh hardens his heart again. Um, you would think people would learn, but I guess we often find that people don't. Um, and it's it would be such a radical shift. Remember, before we started this, in the, in the early part of Exodus, we learned that the Israelites outnumber the Egyptians. Um, the Egyptians, maybe they're a little bit more cosmopolitan, a little wealthier, you know, they, they don't, don't want to or can't work the land the same way that these they can with the Israelites. So to let them leave not only would empower them, even if it's just to go off to worship, um, but it would also sort of bring their economy to a, a screeching halt. So Pharaoh is, you know, you can read this and be like, why on earth does Pharaoh keep hardening his heart? If you look at it pragmatically, though, he's really between a rock and a hard place. Um all this awful stuff keeps happening. He comes to believe that it's through Moses as God that this might be happening. Well, he doesn't fully believe it yet, not enough to make the change, but he also is the king of this nation that has come to rely on this group of people for their labor. Because um, so, it almost gets comical. Like, you know, you see all this stuff happening. Why don't you do something about it? Well, there's, there's these pragmatic reasons why Pharaoh kind of keeps falling back where he is. All right, we will, oh, there's a little bit of time left. Let's get through the eighth and ninth plagues and get the run up to, um, to the final. Chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials in order that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I made fools of the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, so that they may worship me. For if you refuse to let my people go, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. They shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land. They shall devour the last remnant left you after the hail. 
and they shall devour every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of your officials and all the Egyptians, something that neither your parents nor your grandparents have seen. From the day they came onto this earth, then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long shall this fellow be a snare to us? Let the people go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, worship the Lord your God, but which ones are you to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, because we have because we have the festival to celebrate. He said to them, The Lord indeed will be with you. If ever I let your little ones go with you, plainly, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, never. Your men may go and worship the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's convinced what's going to happen when they go out to worship. They're going to stay there. Yeah. Or they're going to leave, leave. Right. Yeah, you're not taking your kids and everything you own out there with you. And Pharaoh, maybe shrewdly so, doesn't trust that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt, so that the locusts may come upon it and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When morning came, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came upon all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been seen before nor ever shall be again. They covered the surface of the whole land, so that the land was black, and, all, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit on the trees that had been left by the hail. Nothing green was left, no tree, no plant in the field in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh hurriedly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Do forgive my sins just this once and pray to the Lord your God that at the least he remove this deadly thing from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. The Lord changed the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into this Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but... The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a dense darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another, and for three days they could not move from where they were, but all the Israelites had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go, worship the Lord. Only your flocks and your herds shall remain behind. Even your children may go with you. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must choose some of them for the worship of the Lord our God. And we will not know what to use to worship the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was unwilling to let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care that you do not see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. 
Moses said, just as you say, I will never see your face again. And we will conclude there for the day leading up to the final plague. Um, two things to consider. So remind me when we meet next week, we will begin with this question. Why does it say the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart? Um, I think that's something to, to dwell upon. And just as a final tidbit, you know, we've come to plague number what? Ten. Tenth and final. Why ten? It's well, good. We haven't had the death of, the, of your firstborn. That's going to be ten. We're coming up to the final plague. There are ten plagues. We're coming up to the final one. Why ten? Um, it's a good Bible number. It's a, it's a good Bible number of completeness. Um, so Pharaoh has been given these nine chances. Interestingly enough, and I, I don't think this ever gets emphasized enough, in the telling of the story, when we kind of tell it popularly, throughout all nine of the first plagues, what has been the request? Go out and worship. Go out and worship. Three days. One festival. That's it. We'll come back. We'll return to Goshen, return to our labors. The request so far has just been to go out and worship God. And that's what Pharaoh is refusing. So we'll leave it there. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Bye, Jean.